the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I see my name in shiny lights. Yeah. A different city every night. Oh, I, I swear. The world better prepare for when I'm a billionaire. It's time to get down to business on the weekend's number one business program. Known as the king of networking, your host, Shalom Klein, has worked with thousands of entrepreneurs and created countless jobs. So, to success, let's get down to business. And indeed, we are all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship and business. We talked a lot about business here. You are on with Get Down to Business, and I'm your host, Shalom Klein. And remember, you can always download podcasts from Get Down to Business on my website at shalomkline.com. Are you there? Don't forget to follow me on Twitter. So, uh, absolutely excited to uh, get started with some fantastic guests, um, including an author of a new book called Kiss Your Dragons, Radical Relationships, Bold Heart Sets, and Changing the World. I'm joined by Sean Nason. Sean, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me here, Shlom. I'm really excited to be with you today. Really, really excited, and with a uh, title of uh, "Kiss Your Dragons," you uh, you piqued my interest right away. I know you host a uh, podcast as well, um, but really, what I'm fascinated by uh, is your background. You've been a CEO, um, a family man, uh, and you have uh, you you've seen a lot of people struggle with uh, uh, with some of their uh, biggest demons and connect with some of their deepest passions. And I know that that's what led to the book of "Kiss Your Dragons." So, Sean. Uh, again, thank you for uh, for joining us. So tell us the story behind what led to the book and perhaps also the title. Yeah. So um, again, Shalom, really great to be here and um, to be sharing my story with your listeners. Yeah. So, you know, um, the whole book, Kiss Your Dragons, came out of this whole premises uh, when we started talking about the book, about this shift from mindsets to heart sets. I mean, there's a lot of talk in business around the mindsets that you're supposed to have and, you know, as a leader or in the C-suite. But what I started to realize is that mindsets can change. Uh, And that is uh, through learning. If you're a lifelong learner or through lessons learned, they change. Uh, Mindsets do. But heart sets, the things that you value the most, those are the core of who you are. Um, And many times we're scared of those things and we're scared to lean into those things. Um, So for me, um, and we we talk about this in the book a little bit, Shalom, we we talk about this three-point sermon, um, we call it, um, because one of my careers and my life and passions, um, I was a pastor, um, so I still have that heart, um, is, is to be transparent, to build relationships and love people. Well, when I say that to some leaders, they're like scared to death. And that's where the premises of Kiss Your Dragons came in. Because you hear it all the time in the workplace, or I'm sure people hear it, you know, go slay your dragons. Go slay the things that you are scared of or that intimidate you the most. 
And actually what we want to do, Shalom, is we want to flip that and we say, no, lean in and kiss those dragons. Um, and the premise just comes off of uh, a three-movie series, How to Train Your Dragons, Hiccup was the young man, and Toothless was the dragon. Um, and when Hiccup found Toothless, at that point in Hiccup's life, he had been trained through how he grew up and through a culture to kill dragons, and he just couldn't do it. So what he did is wow. he leaned in. He leaned in. And he ended up training that dragon. And then by the third movie, Shalom, if you if you follow the three movies, dragons at the end are used as a good thing. You know, the, that Viking culture, they were riding dragons. They were using them for business. All of this stuff. And so imagine if we flipped that today and the world we live in today that's so divisive and that's so we don't respect humans we you know there's this huge divide right that's happened in the world across the globe what if we acted like hiccup and we leaned into our toothless and kissed our dragon um and that's where the premise of this came because it's really scary when i talk about that three-point sermon to be transparent well as leaders we're not taught to be transparent but what if we were what if we focused on building relationships and I don't understand how people can be a leader if they don't love people. Um, but a lot of times you have to lean into that. So that's a, probably a longer answer you were looking for, but that's how the book came about. And that's why the book is here today. It's an incredible, incredible story. Uh, thank you for sharing it. Again, I'm talking with Sean Mason, uh, the author of Kiss Your Dragons. And Sean, uh, we did not talk about your uh, your background as much as I'd like. So you are an accomplished business executive yourself, as we said, a family man, and uh, really helping through the books, through your podcast, through many areas, helping people um, really be the best version of themselves. So, I mean, if you don't mind, uh, Sean, tell us a little bit of, of how that background led to the book and how the book has changed you in many ways. Yeah, so thanks. Um, yeah, you know, I, I share with people, Shalom, um, I'm in my fifth career. I was a musician, musician turned pastor, pastor turned businessman. Um, and I got the real honor um, in 2005 to go to work for a company that many of you know, the Walt Disney Company. And I learned this whole new premises of how you can do business and put humans first, right? And so Disney's really well known for their guest experience, the power that they have in that guest experience. Um, and how it affects their business. Um, and so I, I learned a ton. And during that time, I went back and got my finance degree. Um, so I have a, a bachelor's in finance and a master's in international business and capital finance. Um, and I learned how you could take experience and service as your business competitive advantage and be the differentiator. And I was a finance person. And so I learned it in a really completely different way. And so through that, I got moved into another, recruited into another company. And that's when I moved into healthcare. Um, and I started to learn if a lot, um, again, around healthcare and the industry and experience and innovation. And that's kind of just been my trajectory to 2015 when I started our company now known as Mophie. Um, and we're an experiential design firm. We focus on ecosystems of an experience that experience is actually your full ecosystem of your business. 
And this book is the essence of, of who I am and who some very dear friends of mine are. So I co-authored this book with Michael Harper and Robin Glasgow. And the powerful thing about the book, Shalom, is that it brings three very different perspectives. And it's a conversation. So it's three of us having a conversation on really hard areas to do in business and to lead into, but all based in experiential design and innovation. So it's a really powerful conversation for leaders to, to read and understand how this, this heart set and mindset can come together to transform businesses. Wow, uh, amazing. So uh, as we come to a close in our fantastic conversation with Sean Mason, again, author of Kiss Your Dragons, um, appreciate your story, appreciate your uh, description of the book. Um, I have to ask, what is that one takeaway? I don't need to share all the secrets of the book. Um, what's that one takeaway that you want our listeners to put into practice this week? And of course, how can people get a hold of you and your team? They want to have a, a discussion uh, further about, uh, about really the principles behind the book. Awesome. Yeah. So here's the one takeaway that the whole book is based on. It's called Radical Relationships. And it's not just about having a relationship, but it's about having radical ones. And radical relationships are about depth and authenticity, boldness, and heart. Um, and I just want to read this little bit, and then I'll give my um, information. It says, radical relationships is about taking the time to sit with people you don't usually sit with. This is also about sitting in the mess, even when every ounce of your being wants to run and hide. Done well, radical relationships give us confidence and energy in the face of ambiguity, confusion, difficulty, danger, and even despair. They build our trust in ourselves and in others, and we need them now more than ever. That is my takeaway, is that we have to learn to build radical relationships again and respect each other in the midst of the mess. And that is very much in today's society leaning in and kissing your dragons. Um, if people want to know more, how to get a hold of me, they can actually just go to Sean Nason, S-H-A-W-N, like no, and then N like no, A-S-O-N.com. That's my personal website, SeanNason.com. And our company is um, Mofi, M-O-F-I dot C-O. You can follow us as well on Instagram, on Twitter, uh, you can type in man on fire. Um, that's my handle on those are Mofi social. Um, we would love um, to talk and have more conversation um, with any of your listeners and with you Shalom going forward. And um, I really thank you for giving me this time um, on your show today. Absolutely. And I know folks can, uh, can uh, pick up a copy of the book on uh, all of their favorite uh, uh, platforms, including Amazon, of course, Kiss Your Dragons. Uh, Sean Mason, thanks so much for joining us on the air. What a fantastic conversation. As always, I encourage our listeners to get on my website, shalomkline.com. That's where you can download podcasts of the past many, many, many years of shows. Be sure to follow me on Twitter and uh, make sure you're clicking subscribe on your favorite podcast app uh, to get more all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, continuing our theme of amazing authors, uh, which are written by amazing people. I'm joined by a former government official management expert, Kristen Cox, um, who together with, uh, together with co-author Yishai Ashlag um, wrote the book, Stop Decorating the Fish, Which Solutions to Ignore and Which Problems Really Matter. Really, really important stuff. And I know that there are 
there are seven, uh, you call it the seductive seven, but, uh, but now, now that I've just piqued everybody's interest in the conversation, um, I'm very, very excited to welcome Kristen Cox onto the program. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure and honor. Absolutely. It's great to have you. So let's talk about your background before we get into the book, because I'm sure it's your background that led to the writing of the book. Um, how, did you, how did you come up with this concept of stop decorating the fish? Hmm. Having worked in government for a long time, my most recent job was uh, with Governor Herbert, state of Utah, over the Office of Management and Budget for eight years, where I oversaw the budget on behalf of the governor and you know, obviously under his leadership, and then the operations and all the agency stuff. And when people would come forward with budget requests, um, it was really, you know, it's a $20 billion budget. And it was interesting that I would keep seeing similar patterns of things people would jump to to fix these deeper, more chronic issues. And they first had the fatal four, and then they grew to the seductive seven. You can almost kind of predict and have a checklist of what people will jump to. And the challenge is, it gives us the illusion of progress, right? We feel like we're making change. We're implementing a change. We've got a new budget. We implemented a new piece of technology, but it doesn't solve the real problem. So uh, I think just years of watching this happen, and then my co-author uh, sees it in the private sector, and it's it's a, pro- it's a challenge. It's a real challenge because we're wasting time, resources, distracting people what, from what they really should be focused on when we jump to these seductive seven. I love it. I love it. And your background, again, tells the story. Um, and uh, the book is entertaining. Um, and so let's talk about the, uh, the, uh, the, the concept uh, behind what is, what is shared and, uh, and, and how that leads to that seductive seven. Uh, and most importantly, what are some of the takeaways that our listeners can put into practice as we uh, rapidly approach the middle of 2021? Yeah. Well, yeah, a few things. Um, I think people are good and people want to make a difference. The challenge is, is we often react to what's very visible, what we can touch, see, experience. So we look at spreadsheets trying to figure out costs, but spreadsheets don't tell us the causes of cost. We hope that somehow if we have a whole new data system, that the answer will magically reveal itself, where in reality, it's about the kind of questions we ask and how clear we are in our thinking. So the seductive seven, more money, more technology, more data, another reorganization, uh, another strategic plan, more accountability or blaming initiatives. We jump to these and more training. And these things make us feel really good. Um, I've I've got seen a big reorganization going on right now in a state, and it's going to change a lot of administrative functions. But the direct services, uh, it doesn't touch that. But that's where all the money is, and that's where the impact is to customers. And part of this is that we can't find the real problem outside the context of the goal. So take a reorganization. If the goal is to change your uh, span of control and maybe reduce minimal duplication of effort at the administrative level, then maybe a reorganization could give you some marginal improvements. I would suggest there's much easier ways to deal with your span of control. But if you really want to make a big impact on the cost of government and how effective its services uh, are for the frontline and for the customer, reorganizations don't touch that. And then you've spent an entire year dealing with office changes and who reports to who and just tons of effort and you've missed the mark. And I, you know, we talked earlier, I'm blind. And many, many, many years ago when I was going blind, I was actually on a form of, you know, public welfare. And I'm grateful that I had that safety net. But I 
was one of the fortunate to get out of that. And that's because I had some really great mentors in the system. Was, you know, a lot of people on the top level feeling really good about their strategic changes, but it never impacted how the frontline experienced government. And so I feel pretty strongly. We extract money from taxpayers, people who need services aren't getting them, businesses who need help. It takes too long for just government to make decisions and the costs are just too steep. So part of it is to start by stopping. What are all the things you're doing in your organization that are solving the wrong problem? Set a really ambitious goal and target. And that's the first step to finding the problem that really matters. Wow. Uh, again, I'm chatting with Kristen Cox, um, who certainly knows her thing or two about this because uh, Kristen, he served as the executive director of the governor's office of management and budget for the state of Utah, uh, served on cabinets, three previous go- governors and a presidential appointee within the federal government. And you were uh, you received many recognitions, including Governing Magazine's Public Official of the Year. So you know a thing or two about that, and uh, certainly your uh, your co-author Yishai Ashlag as well. So stop decorating the fish. You've talked a lot about this, Kristen. You've talked a lot about some of the lessons learned from your time and some of the takeaways. One of the things that I I find interesting is you talk about this being relevant to all organizations, mm-hmm. um, and many of our listeners are small business owners. So again, what is that? What is that takeaway for that for that you know small business owner that entrepreneur that's tuning in? How can they focus on what really matters? I love the way you just said, start by stopping, um, and and actually really dig in to the root problem. And uh, as we say in the military, you know, focusing on the commander's intent. Yeah. So for uh, both of us, my co-author and I, it's about grounding in. The value for the customer. For so, so, especially for small businesses, it's really interesting to think about the way we define value is what's the limitation you're removing for the customer. Um, Dr. Goldratt, just a brilliant man, had a quote, and we, we love this and use this. It's value is when you remove a significant limitation in a way that was not possible before in a way your competition cannot replicate. And what we mean by that is often we jump to new features and benefits or enhancements or new branding campaigns, but we're not grounded in what's the real value we give to the customer. So an example we use sometimes, there's a company called Omron. Um, They really tapped into a need that customers had, which was, hey, if I need to get my blood pressure taken, I've got to go to the doctor's office. It's a lot of hassle. It's a lot of friction points. How do I remove that hassle for the customer? Um, They were the first out to make blood pressure uh, testing that people could take at home that was accurate and reliable. Unfortunately, you know, they didn't continue on making a lot of other vital tasks accessible and at home. So it starts with getting really clear about putting yourself in your customer's needs or in your customer's shoes. And what is the specific limitation? What would they like to do and they can't do? And are you really confident your product or service will remove that limitation from them? So everything we do starts with what's the need for the customer, and then what's our big goal to actually remove that that limitation for people. And when we start there, we start focusing more on managing our value than managing the stock of our company or, you know, our branding campaigns. We keep getting grounded into what's the value for our customer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Really, really important uh, information. So you have a website uh, for the book, um, uh, again, called Stop Decorating the Fish. And I know that this is not just in writing. This is actually a, uh, a way of life. Um, and you have been encouraging, again, leaders of all organizations, regardless of size, stop spending time and resources on solutions that only give the illusion of progress and instead focus on the root problems. So, Kristen, 
We're beginning to run out of time over here, and I want to make sure our listeners know where they can get a hold of you and uh, certainly purchase a copy of the book. Oh, you're great. Thank you. I'm very active on LinkedIn. So Christian Cox, I'm on LinkedIn, K-R-I-S-T-E-N, and then StopDecoratingTheFish.com. We have a fun animated video there. We also have a diagnostic tool companies and organizations can use just to see if they're fish decorating. Very often we feel so busy. We don't think we have any more capacity. And when you take this diagnostic tool, you may find that there's a lot of stuff you're doing you can set aside so you can start really anchoring back in the value for your customer. Incredible. Great resources. Again, Kristen Cox, uh, the author of Stop Decorating the Fish. I encourage all of our listeners to uh, pick up a copy of the book for uh, it's truly entertaining and to learn more about those seductive seven, um, which uh, I know uh, I certainly uh, was able to relate to some of them. So again, Kristen, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. It was so fun. Absolutely. Such a pleasure. And we are going to squeeze in the headlines, a quick break. And when we return, we are going to be chatting with Matthew Morales, um, who has written a book called Never Be Poor Again, A Guide to Money as a Spiritual Practice. Um, really, really excited for that conversation. We've got a lot more on Get Down to Business. So make sure you're getting my website, shalomkline.com, to download all of the seven, almost eight years of uh, shows all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. And did you know I have another podcast called We All Serve, where I interview military leaders about their lessons in leadership from their time in uniform. All of those podcasts, including Get Down to Business, are available on your favorite podcast app, Google, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and so on. Just make sure you're clicking subscribe, rate, review, and share. It makes it easier for people to find the show. And as always, a thank you to our amazing sponsors of the show, Chicago Signature Limo and Health Plan Chicago. Thank you so much. We're going to squeeze in a quick break. More small business jobs and entrepreneurship when we return. Hey, welcome back. As promised, I'm joined by Matthew Morales, who is the author of Never Be Poor Again, Guide to Money and Spiritual Practice. Matthew, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited. It is exciting for me to have you. Such an important uh, topic over here. So Matthew, behind every book, as we've been saying uh, throughout the show, uh, there's a, uh, an inspirational uh, story behind the, uh, behind the author. And I know that you've been a public speaker, a teacher, an author, and, uh, and you, have, uh, you have a way of explaining concepts really, really uh, impressively. And certainly this topic of... Uh, of certainly never be poor again is uh, is an important one. So, Matthew, what's your story? Awesome. Okay, I'm going to try to keep it as short and succinct as possible, so that um, we can get everyone to uh, know what's going on. But so, as I said, my name's Matthew Morales, and a couple of years ago, me and my girlfriend were traveling through Nepal. And anyone who knows me knows that I grew up poor. I grew up extremely poor, but I love finances. I love um, taking care of other people and teaching. Um, anything that has to do with finances. And so when I was traveling, me and my girlfriend, Nicole, at the time, we're going for six months. We were in Nepal and we had $20 left to our name after visas and everything it was our first day in Nepal. And as we were in Nepal, we paid for the guest house for two weeks. We had just those $20 left. We hadn't eaten in three days. We decided to go for a walk. And as we're going for a walk, Nicole gets hit by a car. And I rush her to the hospital and they, you know, give her medicine. They give her x-rays. They do everything they have to do and make sure that she's okay. She's fine. She has to be in crutches. But at the end, she ends up with 
um, an $18 bill. So we end up with an $18 bill. So we have $2 left to our name. And now Nicole's all drugged up and we're walking back home through Nepal. No clue where we are. No clue what the language is. No clue the name of our guest house. All the lights in the city go out. And we're not sure what to do. And she goes, I'm really hungry. And I say, okay, would you rather, we have $2 left. Would you rather eat breakfast or dinner? And she broke down crying. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, I've never had to choose between two meals before. But I always have my whole life. And so I broke down crying with her. I didn't know what to do. And I remember looking into her eyes and grabbing her hands and saying, Nicole, I promise we will never be poor again. We will never, ever, ever have to choose between something so simple as a meal. And after that, I decided to do everything I possibly could to fix my financial uh, situation, to fix her financial situation, to apply the laws of money that I had studied my whole life, but never applied. And it really hit me. That the only thing stopping me from being wealthy wasn't my poverty, but was my arrogance. Wow. And now you're sharing that, uh, that le- those lessons from that story, um, which is just so, so moving. Um, and I appreciate you being uh, sort, of, sort of so vulnerable and, and sharing that lesson. And that, uh, that uh, line that you uh, shared with uh, Nicole, never uh, will never be poor again. And that's uh, something you're paying for it. As we said, uh, you are an educator. Um, and you are taking this uh, very sensitive topic and making it uh, making it practical. And and uh, and I always love to ask this question of what is the one thing? What is that one takeaway from the book? As uh, as we're now in May 2021, what's something that 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 people can learn? And don't give away all the secrets because I want people to pick up a copy of the book. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, you know I I will synthesize everything to this important thing. This is what my book is saying. Simply, is that. A master is a person who, or an expert is a person who masters the fundamentals. And so everything comes down to fundamentals, but those are the things we are ignoring. And it's our arrogance keeping us from paying attention to those things. Recipes exist for a reason. And if you come across a recipe, if you come across a piece of knowledge and you only follow step two or follow step six, you skip between the intros and the conclusions, you don't take it seriously, you're never going to get anywhere. And that's what I realized that I read hundreds of financial books. I took accounting class, I went to business school, and I was still broke. I was still broke. And I realized it's because I was learning the basics, spend less money than you make, but I was spending more money than I made. Save money, I wasn't saving money. Investing, I wasn't investing. But these are all things we all know, but none of us are doing it. Well, you kept your word, Matthew. Again, I've been chatting with uh, Matthew Morales, and Matthew, you said you've, you'd uh, you'd keep it succinct and uh, with a real actionable item. But the, most of the actions and most most of the lessons are in the book "Never Be Poor Again," written by the one and only Matthew Morales. So, Matthew, how can people pick up a copy of the book? How can they get a hold of you? And uh, and again, I encourage all of our listeners to uh, to to take both of those steps today. Yes. So you can go onto my website. 
www.moneymystic.co. Right there, you can order a pre-order of the book that's coming out on July 16th, Never Before Again, will be coming out on July 16th on paperback. Um, If you would like to contact me to understand some of the principles, hire me for workshops, to teach your businesses, um, to teach you, help you with a business plan or anything, you can call me directly at 619-673-6122. You can follow me on my Facebook page or my Instagram, MoneyMystic359, and that will give you some of my secrets, some of my information that I'll be distilling for you guys for free forever. And you guys can go ahead and check out my book and get all the information in there as well. Well, Matthew, thank you so much for joining us. I encourage everybody again, never before again, Matthew Morales, thanks for joining us. Got to squeeze thank in another you. quick break and we've got more tips, advice, information, all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship when we return. Hey, welcome back. So, uh, super important that we have a uh, that we have conversation as we're living in this new digital world. Working from home, it's changed our working environments, our workplace relationships, and um, and certainly we have a we have we have a whole new reality of, of how we function. A challenge is sexual harassment. Unfortunately, has also adapted. Um, an expert on the topic of employment law and certainly an expert on this topic of digital sexual harassment in the, in the remote workplace, Christina hines Mesco uh, uh, from, from Chicago's Prince Law Firm um, is joining us here on Get Down to Business. Christina, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me, Shalom. It's, uh, it's such a pleasure and I appreciate your important work on this topic. Um, and we'll talk uh, a lot more about uh, digital sexual harassment. We'll talk about that checklist that you've helped uh, build for companies to ensure that employees are feeling safe, welcomed, and included in work. But let's talk about your background. Christina, you are, again, employment law expert. Um, tell us a little bit of uh, how you got into employment law and some of uh, your interesting work. Yes, thank you. Uh, I more or less fell into employment law through a clerkship program and and really then fell in love with it thereafter. I think uh, my passion really centers on uh, promoting the dignity of workers. Um, I think, you know, for business owners, employees are the most valuable asset you have. You treat them right and they will be loyal to you and, and go above and beyond for you. Um, as employees, you know, I've, I've worked with so many employees who have been discriminated against or been harassed and held their hand through that process and um, and really, it's 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 kind of what what keeps me up at night and gets me up in the morning is is the passion for for making sure that employees are respected in the workplace. Super super important. Um, so your firm. Let's talk about this for a moment. I've uh, I've known uh, several of your colleagues, and you guys are doing fantastic work. So it didn't surprise me when I heard um, that you are on the leading on the cutting edge of research into this important topic. So the Prince Law Firm, tell us a little bit about your team. So yes, the Prinz Law Firm was founded in uh, 2009 um, by Kristen Prinz. Uh, she's a fantastic attorney and, and an equally brilliant business person as well. And uh, so we we clerked together bef- uh, before we graduated from law school and kind of were baby attorneys together. And uh, she went out and started her own firm um, really, with a, again a passion for helping clients uh, that were business owners realize their goals and and comply with employment law at the same time, and then also help those individuals who've been um, you know harmed by their employers you know, seek redress for for the issues that they have, both 
through negotiation, through litigation. So our firm does uh, a lot of work uh, on behalf of employers, but we do represent employees as well. And, uh, and that runs the gamut from drafting policies and um, writing contracts. And then, of course, litigation that, that when, when those uh, issues and disputes cannot be resolved. Absolutely. And I appreciate that background and appreciate, again, you and your colleagues and all that you are doing. So let's talk about your uh, current workplace. Um, you, uh, you are uh, likely uh, throughout COVID. Uh, you have certainly uh, been right now. We're having this conversation actually recording through Zoom. Uh, many, uh, many offices have been using Teams, all sorts of different platforms. How did that uh, influence your, uh, your research? And again, that development of the checklist, which I think is so important. Um, I think that, you know, obviously our own office, which is uh, downtown in the, in the loop in Chicago, um, needed to make, to pivot and, and go, go remote and which we were thankfully able to do in this digital age. Many others experience the same things. Uh, but what we've seen as, as this has unfolded is that the harassers that exist in workplaces everywhere have just found uh, more methods and means in which to I, you know, harass their victims. Um, and, and so we had to sort of take a different look up at what sexual harassment looks like in the remote workplace versus, you know, the traditional idea that people have, uh, you know, the boss comes up and puts his arm around the, the subordinate junior employee and then she feels uncomfortable. You know, we're kind of uh, away from that, what like 1985 HR video type sexual harassment at this point. Now we're seeing sexual harassment occur in you know, in the context of conference calls and video meetings, um, all of those channels through which employees can communicate, uh, text messages, um, you know, a lot of employees use uh, chat platforms like Slack um, or, or Google Chat. We're seeing things start to pop up there uh, that, that are rising to the level of creating a sexual harassment hostile work environment for employees. Okay. Um, well, so important, and definitely you are seeing the uh, you are seeing those trends. And um, as you learn what is happening, and you're certainly on the front lines of seeing um, what is taking place in uh, the world of employment law, um, you have uh, taken a proactive approach uh, to this. So uh, we're going to get into that checklist. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the uh, some of the uh, the workarounds and some of the uh, some of the uh, efforts that employers should be putting in place uh, to make sure, again, that, that employees are feeling welcomed and included at work, regardless of what workplace they're in, in person or digital. Uh, but uh, again, Christina Heinz-Mesco from Chicago's the, the, the Prince Law Firm, I want to make sure that our listeners know where they can get a hold of you and your, uh, and your team um, so they can have a consultation and a discussion. Yes, definitely. So uh, our, our website is probably the best avenue. We're also on social media, but www.prins-lawfirm.com. And there you'll find a plethora of information on all the topics that touch employment law, particularly uh, sexual harassment and, and especially sexual harassment in the digital age. Uh, we're also linked on uh, social, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, um, as well. And um, you can always pick up the phone and call us the old fashioned way too. Okay, fantastic. Well, Christina, I've got to squeeze in a very quick break. Encourage all of our listeners to get on my website where I'll link to uh, to your firm as well. ShalomKlein.com. That's your good download podcast. But again, Christina Hezmesco, um, stick with me. We're going to squeeze in a quick break. More about that checklist, more about digital 
sexual harassment in the remote workplace when we return. Welcome back. I've been chatting with employment law expert Christina Heinz-Mesco from Chicago's Prince Law Firm. And uh, Christina, um, you've been sharing that uh, you've been hearing about inappropriate comments, explicit photos, other misconduct that's being used on all sorts of platforms used by uh, employees. There's Microsoft Teams, Slack, Zoom, private media, text messages, all of those things. It's certainly been an adaptation in a good way of how we can be productive. But as we said, um, when we started the conversation, sexual harassment has adapted as well. So, Christina, you and your team have uh, have adapted as well and coming up with some uh, some ideas and some solutions that uh, that our listeners hopefully can put in place immediately. Tell us some of your advice. Absolutely. Yeah. So so first, I mean, some simple non-monetary changes you can make and ensure that you have going on already. Set your workforce up for success and in, in corresponding and engaging uh, remotely. Remind employees to bring their best professional selves to work and to virtual meetings. Um, you know, in some situations, it may be appropriate to suggest a dress code for uh, remote meetings uh, so that no one is felt, feels uncomfortable. Using uh, like standard virtual backgrounds for, for Zoom meetings, um, perhaps someone with your business is low, might be helpful. That, that helps protect employee privacy because we have seen some instances where harassers have used background uh, or, or information contained in the background of the, uh, you know, alleged victim to harass them. So, so simple things like just, just getting your, your workforce uh, imagining that they're back in the office, even if they're not. Um, having policies that uh, prohibit sexual harassment in the workplace, of course, most employers have those already, but make sure that, that your business's expectations around electronic communications are clear. Um, prohibit sharing of, of sexually suggestive or explicit content in workplace settings and on company devices and, and through communication channels. You know, jokes, just like in the office, they, they leave, leave, them, leave them for later with your uh, non-work friends um, if, if you must engage in those because those can create a hostile work environment. Um, and I think the next, the next two very important pieces of this are train employees and managers to understand and identify uh, sexual harassment. So really look for anything that is sexually tinged, any conduct you know, words, images, um, behaviors that are sexually tinged or could, you know, have that uh, opportunity to turn, you know, comments on appearance, for example, would be something that that might turn into something that could be uh, harassing. Uh, but so look for anything that might be sexually tinged that that alters the the employment environment for workers. Um, sometimes it's obvious if someone's the the subject of harassment that they're nervous and they can't, you know, they're not focusing or they're, they're having difficulty um, in the workplace, uh, speak out on behalf of them and make sure that all employees uh, know how to report sexual harassment. And mm -hmm. then really, Shalom, one of the biggest things that we, we see is, is that employees, employers need to investigate complaints and take action. Don't sweep it under the rug. Uh, if you get a complaint or you, you see behavior that should be, uh, you know, maybe investigated, um, even if it's seemingly innocuous, talk about it, figure out how to approach it, ensure that your workers are okay, ask questions and have conversations around this uh, so you can understand where, you know, opportunities uh, exist to better your environment in, in this regard. 
Mm-hmm. And as I always say on the program, um, I, it's important that this is not just for large organizations. This is something that small businesses can and should put in place as well, because it's, all, it's everybody's responsibility to ensure a safe uh, yes. workplace, uh, whether it's in person or remote. So uh, again, employment law expert, uh, Christina Heinz-Mesco from Chicago is the Prins Law Firm. Um, really appreciate that advice and information. You've already shared some of your uh, contact information, but one more time, can you share your website? Sure, it's www.prins-lawfirm.com. Fantastic. Well, Christina, thank you so much for sharing your expertise on this so such an important, important issue. Um, that will be a wrap for us here on Get Down to Business. We're going to be back next Sunday at 6 p.m. right here on AM560, The Answer. Go to my website, shalomkline.com. Success. Let's get down to business. Looking forward to continuing our conversation on business, jobs, and entrepreneurship next week.